Good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. Oh man, what a beautiful day, huh? Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day. For running children and running water, God, for your beautiful sunshine. Thank you. I would be hopeless without your goodness. I would be desperate without your love. Slave to the darkness If it wasn't for the cross Sing with us You have won me With your kindness Chased me down
Thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. With your blood, you brought my freedom. give you praise this morning. And Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the
You don't want to come. Oh, well, I tried. <laughs> you tried. Okay. Good morning and welcome to Rimrock. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm Jeannie and I'm on staff here at Rimrock. We are so thankful to have you with us here in the meadow, or if you're joining us online, thank you for doing that today. You might notice that quite a few people have name tags on today. You're welcome to get a name tag. It's kind of a big morning this morning. Um, we get to have our annual baptism in the creek. It will be brisk, as it is every year, and our annual picnic today. Um, if you are new to Rimrock, we would love for you to grab a guest card at one of the welcome tables and turn it in near the uh, basketball hoop back there to let us know that you're here and that you want to be connected and learn more about Rimrock. So we'd love to have you do that. Um, we have exciting things coming up today, like I mentioned, the baptism and the picnic. And we want everyone that's here just to feel welcome to stay. If you didn't bring something, that doesn't matter. Just join us, enjoy some good food with us. One of our favorite things here at Rimrock is to fellowship together over food. So let's do that today. Coming up, starting next week, we have a month of sermons. It's a month-long sermon series on 21 days of intention and I've got to tell you guys that's one of my favorite ones when it comes around it's always one of my very perfect ones uh, and this year we're going to be going through practices of grace that we can do together to grow in our faith and our depth of loving God together September 18th is a parenting seminar you can find information about it in your bulletin if you don't have a bulletin go get one because it's got your words in it for the songs and it's got lots of information it was my joy earlier this year to return to Rimrock as a small communities developer and one of the best places to start getting connected to people at Rimrock is to join us on Wednesday nights starting September 8th or uh, in Sunday morning classes as adults and so those will start back up on September 12th when we move back inside with two services that's everything on my list let's pray together this morning Jesus we thank you we thank you for, that you are our good shepherd and God we thank you that you are near to us in our brightest moments and in our darkest moments help us as we come to know and learn to the core of our being increasingly the length and depth and breadth and height of your love for us. We thank you this morning to, for this opportunity to be together, Lord. Help us to grow and know you more and more each day. Amen. Just in case the wind comes up, That's right. <laughs> to secure that. So excited for today and for the baptism at the uh, after Ben's sermon. It's going to be so cool. If you haven't been to one, be sure to stay around and do that.
Good to know there's another in the fire. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. He is Good to know if you know him, sing it, say, 
that's what the sermon's on today, the 23rd Psalm. So I want to just kind of quietly sing that back to the Lord with all of us join in and say, Oh Lord, you're my shepherd. You make me lie in fields of green. You lead me by still waters. You restore righteousness to me. Though I walk through the valley I will fear no evil thing for you are with me God and you comfort me Amen beautiful words God we thank you that you are our shepherd God and you have made us to lie down in green pastures you have led us beside quiet waters God you restore our soul and you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, God, because you are with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us, God. You've prepared a table for us in the presence of the enemy, God. You have anointed us with your Holy Spirit. Surely our cup runs over, God, and surely goodness and love and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and then we will dwell in your house forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, boy. Tom, I think Boomer announced last week you were in charge of heating up the creek. <laughs> it's done. Oh, it's done. Okay. Or maybe if I preach long enough. I've been up all night. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Hey, what a joy to be together in the presence of the Lord. And where two or three are gathered, Jesus said, I am there with them. And so our hope today is not in uh, our numbers or even the, the beautiful setting. Our hope is in the Lord this morning because... He is the one we most need. And so as we open the Word of God to Psalm 23, we realize that the Word of God is our, is our bread. A man does not depend on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. You know, when I, when I think of Psalm 23, I, I think of the hardest, darkest places where maybe this psalm has been prayed, maybe on a hospital bed, maybe in a war zone. I even think of Afghanistan this past week where our, our brave men and women serving our country, I'm sure some of them have prayed Psalm 23 this past week. The places of darkness, places of trial, places of struggle, this has been a prayer 
for many, many people because it's a prayer of comfort, it's a prayer of hope, it's a prayer of strength, but it's a prayer that reminds us that God is greater than whatever we face. He is the greatest. He is the Lord. So would you, uh, would you stand with me if you're able? If you're unable to stand, uh, that's okay. But if you're able to stand, we stand in honor of, of God's word this morning. The Lord, he is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. So this is our last Sunday in the Psalms, and uh, I pray this summer has been rich to your soul as, as we meditate on the Psalms together. And I got to admit, as a, as a preacher, it's, it's so hard to uh, end right now because there's so many Psalms we, we didn't get to. And I was really touched uh, by Bill, and you know, Bill... Uh, he said at the very beginning as we were meeting and praying over this sermon series, he said, you know, I've, I've, I've read a psalm every day of my Christian life, and, and I thought about how that has formed him and nourished him and made him who he is today and how important this is for the formation of our hearts, of who we are before God. And just like physical exercise is so important for our bodies, the psalms are, are so important for our inner person, and it forms who we are. And yet, uh, we're, we've, we've come to the end of this series, and next uh, Sunday we begin a new series through September, looking at spiritual disciplines. Every uh, September, over the last three years, we've uh, looked at 21 days of intention, where we've looked at specific disciplines, and in the past we've looked at individual disciplines like prayer and, and fasting, and, and those are so important for, um, for our growth and training in the Lord, but... Um, this year, we're going to look at corporate disciplines, things that God calls us together as his people, as the church. And so we're going to be doing that starting next Sunday. Next Sunday is our last Sunday outside, and then we're going back, back inside. So Psalm 23, and we're this morning going to be walking verse by verse through this, this amazing psalm. And the first verse uh, is worthy of a whole sermon of itself. It's so rich. In fact, so much the rest of the scriptures builds on this theme that God revealed to King David and and I, uh, I agree with one commentator I, I read this past week who who said he believes that probably Psalm 23 was written by an older David a kingly David a David who had lived through the ups and downs of life and had seen God's faithfulness but as an older David I can imagine we don't know that for sure but but for sure the themes of the psalm point to experience with God. We see King David going back to his earliest days. If you remember, King David uh, didn't begin as a king. In fact, he was the youngest of brothers. His brothers were tall and strong and handsome, and he was the youngest, and so he got relegated to the, watching the sheep out in the fields while his brothers did the significant 
uh, family representation of on the battlefield, serving the king. They had honorable positions, but the shepherd was not an honorable position in David's day, nor if you go to the Middle East today. In fact, when I went to Israel, the only shepherds you could see were small boys left with the sheep out in the, the field. And so, but David harks back to that time, those earliest days as a shepherd, as a shepherd boy with the sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, there's so much in that phrase. There's so much in that prayer. And I think this morning, my greatest prayer, my greatest burden as I woke up this morning, so excited to share the word of God with you this morning. The, the thing that was weighing my heart is realizing that some of you here maybe can't pray that prayer, the Lord is my shepherd. And my prayer is that God, by the Holy Spirit, would do such a work that you could cry out with King David and with millions upon millions of people who have experienced the goodness of God, who know who God is, that he is truly a shepherd. When I was a, a boy, I grew up in uh, South America, and we lived in a, a city that was nestled up in the mountains, uh, about 20 minutes from the coast of the Caribbean Ocean, and uh, between the city and the coast was a mountain range called the Avila, and these had over 9,000 foot peaks, and um, I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they would let me go explore those mountains, and I'd camp up there, and there was one particular path on the ridge, and you're on this narrow ridge, maybe three feet, four feet wide, and on either side are sheer cliffs, two, maybe 2,000 more or more feet straight down on one side of the ocean, and on the other side, this valley with a city of Caracas. And, and it's amazing as I often think back to that narrow path. And as I was thinking about Psalm 23, I thought of that narrow path because I think there's two Two tendencies for all of us. Remember Isaiah built upon this psalm when he said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray in Isaiah 53. Each of us has turned to his own way. You see, we're a lot like sheep. <laughs> we wander off the path. We get ourselves into trouble. We get ourselves into danger. Because the human condition is one where we, we think we know what is good. <laughs> We think we know the right way. We think we won't get lost. Oh, but we are prone to wonder. In Genesis 3, we have this picture of God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, showing them his glory, his goodness, providing everything they needed. He said, eat of any tree. All this I created is for you to enjoy. And yet, they heard the lie of the evil one that said, if you eat this fruit, then you will know what is good. Then you will know the difference between good and evil. And boy, what, what a true reality of the human condition is. We think we know what is right. We think we know what is good for us. Oh, but we get ourselves into trouble. And so I think of that narrow path and on either side, these cliffs. And I think of this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think there's two cliffs that we can wander and fall down if we're not careful. For some of you here, the cliff is a cliff of pride. The cliff is pride. Thinking, I don't need a shepherd. I'm doing just fine. Why would I need a God to shepherd me? And so that cliff of pride is one that many of us have fallen down. Many of us have wandered into. 
we've encountered that pride that would say, I do not need a shepherd. I can imagine David as at the height of his kingship, of his rulership, having money and wealth and power, and how easy those things tempt our souls to think that we're doing just fine. We don't need God. <laughs> we got this under control. We're okay. We can make and, and determine our own destiny. And so that's a cliff. It's a place of danger. And so David says, no, the Lord, he is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. <laughs> I need a shepherd. And so I pray this morning, if you've fallen into the cliff of pride, that today you would realize, no, you need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. We are incapable of staying on the path on our own. The second cliff, I think, is even more dangerous, and many of you have maybe fallen into it. And I want to tell you that there's a way out. There's a way out of these places, that the good shepherd is the one who left the 99. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He left the 99, and he pursued the one who was lost. God is a pursuing shepherd because the sheep are so valuable to him. And the other cliff is to think that maybe you have these thoughts, I don't deserve to be God's. I don't deserve to be his. I don't deserve to be shepherd. I'm, I'm so messed up. I'm so wrong. There's something wrong with me. And if, and if you believe that lie, if you've heard the words of the enemy that brings condemnation, then you know how dangerous this cliff is. And the good news this morning, whether you've fallen into pride or you've fallen into despair and depression, the good shepherd can pull you out. And here's what I want you to know. You are loved and you're valued beyond measure. And David understood this as a shepherd. The sheep are the most important thing to the shepherd. It's their livelihood. It's their, it's their inheritance. It's their investment. It's everything for them. It's their survival. And so the sheep are important to the shepherd. You are so important to the good shepherd. God loves you. He cares for you. And you have infinite value. I love what Eugene Peterson says, before God, in God, there are no little people. <laughs> you are not a small person. You're not a little person. No matter what you've done or how you feel, the reality is Psalm 23 speaks to our infinite worth, our infinite value before God. And for that reason, we can say the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. I shall not want. I have all that I need. Listen to what the shepherd does. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides quiet waters. Did you catch that? He makes me. <laughs> sheep and like sheep as people, we get ourselves into trouble. We get running ragged. I love what Bill shared a few weeks ago on the Sabbath rest and how we run ourselves to our weary bones and we get to these places of exhaustion. We get to these places of emptiness. We run dry because we think so much in life will feed us, so much in life will fulfill us, so much in life will satisfy us. But the good shepherd knows us the best because he made us and he loves us and he knows what we need and so he makes us. He brings us to places where we can be fed and we can be restored and where we can be healed and where we can be provided for and where we can be protected. This is what the Good Shepherd does. His heart, his existence is 
for the good of all that he has made. Remember in Genesis it says he created all things and he made them very, very good. This is a good God and he knows what you need even more than you know. He knows what you need. He leads you to the places of what you need. Even this morning, a sister, dear sister in our church, just came up to me praising God. She said, praise God, I'm so thankful because God has been showing me what I need. And even this morning, he provided something for me. Wow, that's our testimony as the people of God. We've seen the hand of the good shepherd. We've seen his provision in our lives. And he leads us to those places. He refreshes our soul. He guides us along right paths. Oh, so much of life is confusing. So much of life is difficult. Maybe you're at a crossroads right now. Maybe there's a decision you have to make in this week. And you're wondering, what do I do? Cry out to the Good Shepherd. Because He leads us. He takes us where we need to go. He takes care of us. He leads us and He shows us the right decisions. And catch this. It's for His name's sake. He's good. And he's doing this for your good and his glory. I think one of the temptations we have as, as sheep and, and as people is one of those cliffs of pride is we can begin to think that, hey, this life is all about me. And we begin to think that we're the center of it all. And, and the Bible reminds us, and especially the Psalms reminds us, that this is God's story. This is his glory. This is his creation. We are his and he is doing this for his name's sake. And so what's at stake is God himself. That's how deep this promise is. God will keep his promise because his own name is at stake. Do you catch that? God is going to accomplish this. I love how in the prophets it says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God will keep his word. He will do this. He will lead you to the quiet waters. He will take you to the green pastures. He will refresh your soul. And He will help you make the right decisions because it's His name that's at stake. God will receive His glory. That's why we exist for the glory of God. That's why we're here to, to bring glory to His name. We live for something so much bigger than ourselves. There's a greater purpose than just ourselves. And so we're part of this bigger story, this glorious story. And it's a good story. And God is going to accomplish it. He promises it. And he puts his name on it. He says, I will do this. I will do this. And so this morning, our hope is not that somehow we'll figure stuff out, but our hope is that God is the good shepherd and he will do it. He will keep his promises, that he is faithful, that we can rest in that promise. And even though I walk through the darkest valley. So here's the reality. This world is full of sin and suffering. I don't know if you've noticed, but the longer you live, the more you see darkness. I'm uh, involved in uh, premarital counseling with two couples. One is an older couple and one is a, a, a young couple who are just starting. And, and what a difference... <laughs> years of life makes as you begin to see the, the valleys and the ups and downs and the challenges of life. And, and I believe one of the reasons we can trust that this truly is the Word of God, that the Bible is authoritative and is the Word of God, is because it's true to our experience. The Bible never says that God will liberate us or rescue us from all suffering. In fact, God said 
expect suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In fact, Jesus said, if you come after me, you will have to take up your cross. And so the word of God is true to our experience that this life is full of suffering. And maybe you've suffered greatly in the past. Maybe you haven't, but I can tell you that you will suffer. And maybe right now today, you are in the midst of a dark valley and you don't see a way out. Suffering is a human reality. And the Bible tells us that is the true human condition of this life on this earth. Because of sin, because of the curse, because Satan deceived and marred God's good creation. And so this reality of dark valleys is, 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 is true. And we see this in Psalm 23. It says, we will go through dark valleys. Don't be surprised by those dark valleys. But listen to the promise. Because <laughs> he's the good shepherd. What does he say? I will fear no evil, for you are with that's the difference between knowing the good shepherd and not knowing the good shepherd. We will all go through valleys. We will all suffer. In fact, this life is full of suffering. And some religions have concluded that is the, the, the ultimate reality. If you, if you go to Buddhism, you'll find that they say it's only about suffering. But here's the difference with Christianity. Here's the difference that Jesus makes in our life. He doesn't leave us in suffering. He doesn't abandon us in suffering. Rather, he joins us in suffering. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross. And so as Christians, what's our answer when we say, why is there so much suffering in this world? And we say there's, there's sin, but, but we say, God came near. Jesus became one of us and he suffered. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to be accused. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be beaten and spit on and called all kinds of names. He knows what it is to be nailed to a cross and he knows what it is to die. You do not, I do not suffer alone for you are with me. You see, the good shepherd doesn't run away from the wolf or the lion the good shepherd protects and is with his sheep. The good shepherd is with his people. He doesn't abandon us to suffering. Rather, he is with us. Have you ever noticed when someone goes skydiving for the first time? Do they ever go alone? <laughs> I'm sure you could go alone. It, it can't be that complicated to pull a string. <laughs> I've never skydived, so I, I probably shouldn't say that, but you have skydived, but, but I, can, I can imagine the fear of standing on the edge of that plane and leaping thousands of feet up in the air. I can imagine the fear, but I think it's interesting that so many times they, they tie you to someone who's jumped before. Why? Because there's something powerful about presence. Presence. I know this as a father, when my, my kids are afraid, the first thing they do is they run to me and they hold my hand, presence. And I know from my own life, as I think about some of the hardest things I face or the most challenging things, what's brought me comfort is knowing that someone is with me. And what's even more important and more powerful is if that person who's with you is experienced, if they know if they know what it is to jump out of a plane, if they know what it is to be sick, if they know what it is to, to start something new like school or a job or something challenging, that they are with us. That's a picture of God. God with us. 
There's no greater promise in the Bible than that God is with his people. Remember when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, God says, I will go with you. And how did he manifest his presence in a pillar of fire, (laughs) in a cloud of smoke? And oh, what comfort that must have given the people as they're facing hunger and thirst and challenges in the desert. They would only look up and be reminded, no, God is with us. And this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is the God who brought us out of slavery. This is the God who brought us through the Red Sea. He didn't take us around the Red Sea, but he brought us through the suffering. He brought us through the challenges, and he was with us. God with us. Isn't that a name for Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. Remember when Jesus left his disciples and ascended into heaven, he said, I am with you. Lo, I will be with you to the very end. This morning, we're going to be baptizing some some folks who are identifying with the good shepherd. They're saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And their promise, as they take on the name of the good shepherd, as they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit, is their name is found in God himself. And he says, I will be with you. There's no greater promise. There's no greater assurance. There's nothing that gives us more strength and nothing liberates us from fear than the very powerful presence of God manifested in the Holy Spirit. And we believe as Christians that we are brought to faith when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and lives in us and dwells in us. And so the very fire that led the people of God out of Egypt now lives within you. And Jesus said in Romans 8 that that same spirit that raised him from the dead now lives in you. Whoa, you should wonder at that reality. Oh, hallelujah, praise God. He is with us. He is worthy of our praise. He is glorious. He is good. He has not left us alone. Oh, praise his name. He is so worthy. He is with us. He gives us what we need. And how do we know we are children of God, Romans 8 says? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. Do you hear his voice? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Can you hear his love for you? Can you hear him say, I got this. (laughs) I'm with you. You're going to get through this valley. He brings conviction. He brings correction. The Bible, it says, is useful. The scriptures are useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness, everything we need. And that's why in Psalm 23, it says he's with us and it says his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The tools that the shepherd has are sufficient for the task. You are well taken care of because God has revealed to us his word. He's given us the tools. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He corrects us. He warns us. Have you ever felt that conviction when you've done something wrong and you realize you can't go on unless you confess it? Oh, that's the good shepherd. Has someone ever spoken a word to you where God is reminding you of his promise, his truth? Oh, his rod and his staff. They're with us and he protects us. This is a dangerous world and he is the good shepherd so he watches out for us. If you're alive today, you're alive because of the Good Shepherd. He's kept you alive. And boy, there's danger. There's coronavirus. There's hurricanes. There's earthquakes. There's storms. There's hail. There's all kinds of things that could go wrong. There's accidents. But if you're alive, it's because the Good Shepherd has been with you. His rod and his staff have guided you. 
and protected. If you're alive today, praise him because he's done his work. He is with us and he's got the tools to help us. But what about death? What about death? And it's interesting in the original Hebrew, it does not say to the valley of shadow of death. Rather, in the Hebrew, it's a specific, the darkest, darkest, most dangerous valley. But it's not a bad translation in the sense that it references death because the worst thing we're going to walk through is death itself. Like, we faced a lot of bad things in our lifetime. You go through terrible valleys, but the worst valley is death itself. What about death? What about death? Well, Jesus knows that too. <laughs> he conquered that too. And this morning as some are baptized, this morning we're reminded not only of the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. And Psalm 23 is a resurrection psalm. <laughs> this is a resurrection psalm because it points to a resurrection God that even death itself, the good shepherd can handle. He can fight and overcome even death itself. So death does not have the final word. That's why Paul says death has lost its sting. It has no victory over my life. We live free from that fear because we know the good shepherd. And he has the tools not only to help us as long as we shall live, but even in death, he is with us. And his tools have overcome it through the resurrection. His power is greater than anything this life can throw at us. And this is what verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me. So I began the series and preaching in Psalm 1, which says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And then it says, but delights in the word of God. Blessed is the man. And we said one of the main themes of the whole Bible is God's desire to bring blessing. His design is to bless you. His heartbeat is to make you happy and satisfied. His greatest treasure and goal is to make you alive and eternal life and everything that you can ever imagine that is good for you. He's a good God in the most profound description of goodness. He is. He is love. He is goodness. He is everything that our hearts long for. And so he says, you prepare a table before me. And what's a table? A table is a place of joy. <laughs> Why uh, on your birthdays and Christmas and Thanksgiving do we, we set a table, right? And what do we do around that table? We gather with those we love, right? What are we going to do today? We're going to set a table. We're going to celebrate, right? We're going to eat food. See, this says something about God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast, in fact, the whole Bible story, the whole story of God ends with a table. It's a feast, and it's a big enough table for every single person to be invited. In fact, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a party, like a wedding feast, and, and, and the invited, not everyone came. So he said, go out in the streets. He said, go find anyone, anyone who will come. Bring them to the table. Bring them to the party, because I'm that kind of God. I have a feast, and I want to share it with you. I want to share in the joy of celebrating and so you prepare a table. We don't make the table. This isn't something we can do on our own. And so this is the great cliff of pride that somehow we can be happy or satisfied apart from God. It's impossible. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy your heart. That's why we talk about the God-shaped hole, that we are designed 
to only be happy, to only be satisfied, to only reach our full potential, our full blessing with God. When we know Him, then we are fully satisfied. He prepares the table. He will satisfy you. He will bless you. He will make you fully happy. Everything your heart longs for is found in Him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why did he put that in there? <laughs> Why does he bring up enemies? This is the resurrection power of God. He restores what is broken. He restores what is broken. I can tell you as a pastor, I've walked with people in the worst situations, but the thing that probably hurts my heart the most is watching broken relationships. Husband and wives who are, are divorced and no longer talking to children and parents who, who no longer relate, neighbors who fight, church members who can't stand each other, a world that is broken by human relationships where instead of love, there's pride and there's hatred and there's violence. We see the images around the world of terrible violence and it hurts the heart of God. He came to bring reconciliation. In fact, Paul said the message of Jesus is a message of reconciliation. God is bringing people together. He's restoring because he knows this is the place of joy. It's, it's in good relationships that we experience joy, right? Husbands and wives and kids and parents and grandparents and neighbors and friends, when we're together, what happens? Joy, <laughs> happiness, satisfaction. And God is restoring a broken world, a world marred by violence. I was thinking this morning, as I went to uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, one of my professors, his father had been an Islamic terrorist in Pakistan. And uh, he went out to kill people, and they murdered people, and they went to uh, kill a Christian family. And he said, as they went up to the home, a little girl, maybe about 12 years old, answered the door. And he said they were ready just to kill her and her whole family. But he said a wall of fire came down. And he said angels appeared and they encountered the glory and the power of God. And he said they fell on their knees speechless before God. And he said they left that day without killing that Christian family. And he began to wonder, what was that? What was that? And someone gave him a Bible. And he began to read about this Jesus. And he learned that Jesus said to love your enemies. And he learned about the cross, that Jesus came to forgive sins. And he realized the, the stain of all the violence and hatred, and all the things he had done as Islamic terrorists. And he gave his life to Jesus. He repented of his sins. He said, Jesus, forgive me. And so he had to leave Pakistan because the other Muslims wanted to kill him. But he made it to America. And today, his son is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And I was thinking this week about what's happening in Afghanistan. What's our hope? Only God can restore only God can take an Islamic terrorist and turn their hearts toward love. Only God can turn enemies and bring them to the table. Only God can do that. And that's why that table and that glorious day will be every nation, tribe, and tongue, and, and language. And so people who once fought against each other will be restored because of the blood of Jesus. He is changing this world. He's changing us. He's turning our hearts away from hatred and anger and unforgiveness towards love and service and giving. Instead of war, we can learn to serve each other. God is doing this. This is what the gospel is. It's a message of reconciliation. And so you prepare a table before me. And so the greatest place of happiness and satisfaction with the food and the people and the, everything we love at the table and God at the table and even our enemies at the table, we will rejoice. We will celebrate because God has done it. He has done it. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. 
The curse is done. And this world that is full of darkness will be brought to light. God is doing it. He will do it. And today in Afghanistan, there are people who have bowed their knees to Jesus and they're confessing the name of Jesus. There's people all over the world who are confessing the name of Jesus and they're going through dark valleys. They're going through terrible trials. But the good shepherd is with them. And what does he say? You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. This is a sign of blessing. This is a sign of healing. This is a sign of purpose. Imagine King David with Saul, and Saul comes to all those brothers. They're lined up one by one, and he goes past the biggest brothers, the most handsome brothers, the strongest brothers. He comes all the way down to David, the smallest one, and he pours out his cask of oil, and he pours it over the head of David and says, you will be king. (laughs) Put yourself in that place. That's what God does with each of us. He chooses you. He anoints you with his Holy Spirit. His holy oil is upon your life. And this isn't talking about becoming a preacher or a missionary. This is talking about who you are and the purpose God has for you. Every person has purpose in God. There's no little people in God. You have a purpose. Your life is not meaningless. You're not an accident. God has anointed your head with oil because he's the good shepherd and he's made a way. He's with you and he's given you a purpose. And so you're not just a teacher. You're not just a doctor. You're not just a dentist. You're not just a plumber. You're not just anything. You are a servant of the Most High, called and anointed by God with oil and my cup overflows. And that's why we can be content and satisfied no matter what our circumstances Our contentment, Paul says, does not depend on what we have or don't have. It doesn't matter how much money or lack we have because we know whose we are. We know who we are. We have purpose. We understand who God is, our shepherd, and we know who we are as a sheep. We know our value. We know our purpose. And we go through life with contentment. We go through life with joy and we lack nothing. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. We always have something to share. (laughs) We always have something to share. I'm always amazed when I travel. I go to places where people have very little material things, but I've never left a church anywhere in this world where I haven't been given something, where someone isn't offering something to bless, to give. And I say, where does that come from? It comes from the good shepherd because if he takes care of us, we always have something to give. This life isn't about us. And when we live for God's glory, when we live for his purpose, we always have enough. We never lack. This is what the life is with the good shepherd. And it says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This is my favorite verse in Psalm 23, the last uh, few years. As a parent, there's so much I've uh, done wrong as a father and I've had to come before the Lord and say, God, have mercy, and, and I think about all the messes my kids make, <laughs> and I'm cleaning up, and I realize this is grace. In fact, that word love is in Hebrew, that word loving kindness, which is the word for grace in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul talks about the grace, that the gospel is a message of grace. This isn't about us getting our act together. This is about the good shepherd, the Lord. He is sufficient. He is enough to cover our messes, to follow our lies and everything we've done wrong. We can, we can rest in his grace. That's why our salvation isn't through works so that no one can boast, but it is by grace 
By grace you have been saved. Through faith. That's it. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. The grace of God is enough. And that's why we worship today. Not because we're better people, but because we're people who've tasted grace. Amen. Celebrate that. You've tasted grace. And if you're here this morning, and you're in that cliff of despair, and you're thinking, I'm not worthy, I got good news for you. God's grace is enough for you. <laughs> Come to him, cry out to him, and he will save you. He will rescue you. His grace is enough. And we end Psalm 23, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 1 and verse 6 are deeply connected. You can't understand verse 1 without understanding verse 6. This is the transformation of God. This is the transformation of David's heart. This is what the word of God does to us. Hebrews said the word of God is like a sword. It divides bone and marrow. It penetrates to the core of all things. Here's the issue. I shall not want. You have desires. You desire to be happy. You desire many things. But here's what the good shepherd is doing. He is transforming our desires. And he will do it. He's doing something in us. We believe here at Rimrock Church, we are a community being transformed by Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. He's changing us. He's changing our desires. And so when David gets to the end of the psalm and, and he's gone through the valleys and he's, he's experienced the goodness of God, his greatest desire is what? <laughs> to be with the Lord. He says, I want to be with you, God. He says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You see, our longing for heaven shouldn't be for the benefits of God. It should be for God himself. God has benefits. Believe me, he's got more than, than we could ever imagine, but he is the treasure. And so when David says, I lack nothing, he answers that question because we can say, Ben, you don't know what I don't have today. I'm, I'm lacking a lot, but, but God does something in us and he shows us what we most need is God himself. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's our hope today. It's a resurrection hope that even if we face death, we will be restored in our bodies. And that's what baptism is all about. As each person goes under the water, they're dying. They're dead. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But in that place of death, there's resurrection. And this is our resurrection hope is that we will dwell with God in this life and in the life to come. <laughs> and so death is not the last word. We will dwell with God forever and in resurrection bodies. And that's our hope. That's our declaration in baptism today. I want to, before we sing, I want to read the names of those who are being baptized this morning. And uh, we're going to have a little transition here. Uh, I'd invite you to stay. If you need to go, it's okay. But, but, but I invite you to stay, and we're going to kind of make our way. Not everyone will be able to see, but we're going to record this, and we'll, uh, but especially let the families. So while they're singing this song, I want all the families who are going to be baptized to go ahead and make your way down to the river, and then we'll kind of organize uh, down there. But uh, Finley Templeton, Grady Templeton, Annie, Anna Peachy, Nora Brady, Liam Weeby, Anna Weeby, uh, Daphne White, Tommy Turner, Neil Doyle, Sammy Mullins, Carissa Alford, Judah Alford, and Karen uh, Marticio. Would you pray with me for these people as they make this decision? Lord, thank you for Psalm 23. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are my shepherd. Would you just say that out loud? Lord, you are my shepherd. Lord, you are my shepherd. And Lord, you will make us lie down in green pastures. And you will lead us besides quiet waters. You will keep your promise, Lord. And even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, Lord, we will fear no evil. For, your, for Lord, you are with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, this is our hope today. Lord, bless your people. Bless those who are being baptized. Fill them, Lord, with your spirit. Give them joy as they identify with you, with your death and your resurrection. And fill them, Lord, with your joy and your hope today. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As you uh, come down to the baptism, if you've got kids up, uh, up in the building, be sure to go back and get them before the meal. Okay? I was told to share that announcement. Intro. Two, three, four.
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can make your way down to the baptism now. And uh, while you're doing that, we'll just play a little.